Amen. I love old hymns. There's some deep theology that we sometimes miss when we don't know uh, the, the theology that the old hymns give us. Well, I have a surprise announcement today. This may be the last sermon you ever hear me preach because after the sermon, I'm moving to Boston and I'm going to become a ball boy for the Boston Celtics. The oldest ball boy ever. So I'm going to pass out basketballs during warm-ups. I'm going to hand out towels and Gatorade. Occasionally I may pat a player on the back after a good play or even say words of encouragement to them. And Now, if I were to actually become a ball boy for the Boston Celtics, would that mean that I'm part of the team? No. It would mean I'm in closer proximity to the team. I may even interact with the team, but I don't play on the team. I'm not on the roster, and I definitely won't make the kind of money they make. So it's ludicrous for me to even consider that I would be a Boston Celtic if I was just the ball boy. And yet God is trying to get us to recognize the same thing. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Haggai chapter 2. Don't worry, I'll keep preaching as long as the Lord lets me. I just had to sell it a little bit, right? And then you you heard I was going to be a ball boy, you automatically knew that's not going to happen. I can't run that fast anymore. All right, this series has been all about us as the people of covenant embracing our time to accomplish God's good work and plan. We who are here today, who make up this church in 2022, we need to recognize no matter our age or how long we've been a Christian or even how long we've been a part of this church, We are the people for this time and this place. We were born and placed here for such a time as this. And although at times it may not seem that we can accomplish much in this place, that what we do is insignificant when we start comparing ourselves to other churches and ministries, whether in our time period or prior, um, we're not supposed to compare our calling or our gifting or our talents. We're supposed to be who God designed us to be. Do you imagine if Gideon tried to be David? Or David tried to be Joshua? Or Joshua tried to be Ruth? It wouldn't work, right? We are who we are for the time period where God has placed us for the calling He's given each of us to do. And His spoken word is that we're to accomplish something in this day that has never been done before. That's exciting, right? For God to accomplish something in our day that has never been done before? Now the question is, are we going to be a part of what he's accomplishing? Or is he going to use someone else? The encouragement is from God to be strong, to not be afraid, because he's with us. And so, uh, this requires us to move. Not to Boston, (laughs) but this requires us to move even if we don't feel like it, right? Bob is here today, recovering from pneumonia, got, got some fluid in his lungs, not breathing as clearly. What's the worst thing you can do, Bob, when you have pneumonia? Just rest, right? Just sit around. You, you don't feel like moving. You don't want to move. You've you got to get those lungs working, even if you don't feel like it. And that's how our faith is sometimes. We've got to get moving. We've got to, to push through our feelings 
And, and the scripture has told us earlier in Haggai that the um, enthusiasm comes from the Holy Spirit once we step out into obedience. So Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. On December 18th of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Ask the priest this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? Then the priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonial unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is this is a direct message to the priests. Anytime you're looking at Scripture and there's a prophetic word given or any kind of teaching, you always want to notice who the message is being delivered to. It's a unique message to them. The priests were the keepers of the law given in the book of Leviticus. And in the law, if, if you ever did a study on the law, or if you've ever had a chance to, the law is broken up into several different sections. I even had a, one of my kids ask me the other day as they were studying the Bible. Uh, Samantha is, has been studying the Pentateuch this year in school. And she was saying, well, Dad, the Bible says don't murder, but is there is that how is there still a death penalty if we're not supposed to murder? And so I was having to explain consequences, that there's personal laws, that we are not to take um, actions into our own hands, but there's also governmental laws in, in, the, in the Pentateuch, in the book of Leviticus, that, that's for that. And there's also um, uh, exemplary laws. These are the laws of don't eat unclean animals. This is the laws of don't wear uh, clothes with other fabrics worn in. And so there's laws that are for us in our personal ethics. There's laws for this budding nation that's just forming, coming out of Egypt. They have to know how to create a governmental structure. And then there's these exemplary laws where you have to live out the principles that I'm trying to teach you. And the exemplary laws are all about learning that there are things that are holy and there are things that are unholy. The holy things, if you pursue them, you'll have blessing in your life. If you allow unholy things in your life, it'll have harm and consequences to your life. And so when Haggai asked these priests about carrying meat for a holy sacrifice and then about ceremonial uncleanliness, he's talking about these exemplary laws. He's setting a foundation for a deeper truth, a living illustration that the living illustration was supposed to bring. And so what we can take from the fact that carrying the meat from a holy sacrifice in their robes and then their robes touching something, some olive oil or another meat or something else, the fact that the, the holy meat transferred through the robe touching another substance does not make that holy is it teaches us that holiness cannot be caught. Holiness cannot be caught. If I'm holy and I touch Mark, he doesn't become holy. doesn't work that way. And yet sometimes we think that, right? We think that if we go to a certain place or, or worship service or, or, or we're present in different areas that, hey, we're, I'm holy now. There's more to it. In contrast, though, if they're unclean, say by touching a dead person, and then they touch someone else, they immediately make that other person unclean too. So transference of holiness 
and defilement work differently. Okay? So he's setting up this foundation. So let's get back to my opening illustration. Being the water boy for the Boston Celtics and being around players and handing out water and towels and passing out balls doesn't make me a player on the team. It's not transferred that way. But if I'm sick with a virus and I'm handing out towels and water bottles and passing the basketball, I can pass on something negative to those players, right? Two different things. And so that's where he establishes uh, his next teaching. Then Haggai responded, That is how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for a 20-bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refused to turn to me, says the Lord. Think about this 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates, and your olive trees, and have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. You see, the problem with the priesthood was that because of their roles required them to be close to the holy things of God, they considered themselves holy. Just because they were in proximity to the holy things. But holiness is a trait that comes from daily choosing obedience to God in His design for our lives. And if you look at biblical history, there's lots of priests and leaders who were not holy at all. Think of Eli and his sons. Or compare Samuel to his sons later on where the people said, we'd rather a king because your sons aren't like you. Just having a position or being in certain places or locations or being born into a certain family doesn't make you holy. <laughs> and yet sometimes we just fall into that trap. Just because we go to church doesn't make us a follower of Jesus. I, I love quoting the... the, the and, and I, I'm sure other people have said it too, but I heard it from Keith Green where he says, you know, going into a McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. It doesn't work that way. But sin and sinful lifestyle is much easier to be caught and to transfer to others. If you remain among sinful people and settle into a sinful culture, you will very quickly discover that you have become sick and sinful yourself. So, just because we're still going to church and we listen to K-Love every time we're in the car, or we even speak Christianese, does not mean that your heart is right with the Lord. I, I think one of the best biblical examples that I know of is Lot. You remember Abraham and Lot, and God had blessed Abraham so much that Lot, being close to Abraham, had some of that blessing too, right? And so, it was so much so that they couldn't live together. So Abraham gave Lot the choice. Do you want to live in this mountainous region that's tougher going? Or do you want to live in this nice valley next to the Mediterranean Sea uh, where everything's flourishing? And Lot 
like you and me would probably say, yeah, I want the easier route. I want to live next to the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, so he chooses that. Um, well, actually, as he chooses that, as he's looking at the, at the land, um, he, he lives near what we know today as Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And so when we first look at Lot, he's living in the land away from those cities. Well, the next time we see Lot in Scripture, it's, he's being captured because he's living close to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they get invaded by an outside army. And so not only do they take the people from those cities, they also take Lot and his family. And then Abram comes, or Abraham comes and rescues him. And we have this beautiful picture of now Abraham lo- owning the entire area and giving everything back but a 10% to uh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem. The last time we look at Lot, do you know where he is? He's in the city. Where's his sheep and cattle and goats? If he had all that, he wouldn't be in the city. (laughs) And so living in proximity to sin, allowing yourself to dwell close to sin, will transfer into your life. It it, it gets you soiled. It, It overcomes you. And that's why being a Christian culture we don't live outside of the world. We're still in the world, but we need to be not of the world. We need to make sure that as we live in our cultures and society, we don't lose our saltiness. That's why Christian fellowship and community is so important. That's why we're working so hard at developing small groups. That's why we're meeting again throughout the summer on Wednesday nights, uh, because we know that this community together is so essential so that we can grow. Um, but that, that's what happens. The holy are hard to find, but those wallowing in sin are much easier to discover and end up with. So, as we look at Haggai, they're working on building a new temple, a new place of worship for their day, and God gives them a warning. It doesn't matter if you're trying to build a holy place. If your hands are defiled, you will be building a defiled place. That's what, that's what God's saying doesn't matter if you're trying to build a holy place. If you, if your hands are defiled, the place will be defiled. So it's a condition of the heart. And so we, modern American Christians, do not need to look at the outside, but look at the heart. Okay? So when we look and we assess what something is, the beautiful facility is great, but that doesn't guarantee holiness. Stage lighting is great, doesn't guarantee holiness. An awesome worship team is great, doesn't guarantee holiness. Active children's ministry, great, doesn't guarantee holiness. Outreach in a community, doesn't guarantee holiness. Having a footprint in the community, doesn't guarantee holiness. Okay? The genuineness of our hearts is what the guarantee of holiness is. Now, Should all those other things be evidence of that? It can be, but it's not always true. And so we got to be careful that our sin doesn't take the work of our hands. And so what God is calling the people to do here is to pause from their work and to assess their hearts. Now, you've known me well enough by now that that I I can, if I have a goal or a task in mind, I can push through and get it done. I don't like waiting and assessing and reassessing. I think that's why God continually gives me board of steward members who are engineers, because that's all they do. 
Wait, wait, let's hold on a second. Let's look at this. Let's make sure we're doing it the right way. Oh, wait, we, there's another thing to consider here. They're, they're great for me. But assessing our hearts, assessing our condition. Why? Why are we doing what we're doing? One of our church members asked me recently, the last couple of weeks, why? Why do we do what we do? Are we doing it because it's an expectation we, we put on ourselves? Are we doing it because of church culture? Or are we doing it because God says that this is what covenant is supposed to be? Why? And can we clearly convey why the why is, right? So they have to check the motivation of their hearts. God has already given them the earthly illustration. He's saying, remember when you planted those crops and you didn't get hardly back anything you wanted to? Do you remember when you had the, the wine press and you, you expected 50 and you got 20? You remember the mildew? You me- That's a result of your sin. It's a result of your choices. So I want us to make sure that we're building a covenant that God wants and desires more than anything else. And some of our previous structures have failed because of the sin of, on our hands. It just has. The key verses are verses 18 and 19. Think about this 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I am giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. What God is saying is, We're at the beginning of something new. Today, May 15th, for the region that I live in, is planting day. That's when you're supposed to start putting your crops in the ground. This is the day where they've said there's no more frost, nothing else to worry about. Today is planting day. God is saying, before you put any seed in the ground, don't worry about the, the, the rain, don't worry about the soil, don't worry about the sunshine, I got all that. How's your heart? Now, what day did covenant start, Dad? May 8th? Is it the 8th, the 15th? What's the, what's the starting day of covenant? May 10th, okay? So we're five days removed from our anniversary. Happy anniversary, us, right? 1984, 2022. We're getting up on another one of those big markers. They had to do that that day. And we're still here because they assessed their hearts. And it was right. So, as God is prompting this generation to go forward, He's saying, before you take a step, let's just pause and and check our hearts. I want to bless you. I want to, to, to make the seeds that I've planted in your heart into something great. But before you start running ahead of me, how are your hearts? And he can't wait to bless us. Let me just say that. God wants to bless us. But it's our choices that inhibit his blessing. I think this would resonate with these priests because they would know Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20. Let me read that to you. It says, now listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep His commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in His ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. 
But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now this sounds like it's a pretty extreme options here, right? Life or death. There's no in-between. Isn't that the way it is really with God? Deep truth. We have an ability to choose. Choose, choose, choose. We so often try to remove our choice like Pilate did, right? You guys choose whether or not Jesus should be released. It's on you. We have a choice. Well, my upbringing and, and what I've experienced in my... Yeah, those are in, inhibitors. But God says, no, I've given you a choice. Today is a new day. This is the day the Lord has made. I want to give you blessings and not curses. The reason that our choices have so much power is because God, at the very beginning in Genesis, gave us dominion over creation. We have dominion. And so our sin and defiance of God affects not only humanity, but the environment and the animal kingdom. Just look at the consequences of the first sins. There was strife between man and woman. Man would rule over woman, and, and she, would, she would want to, to regain power from him. There's pains in childbirth, thorns and thistles causing, uh, coming out of the ground, making it hard to plant crops. I've been with Pastor Steve. We went hunting once together. Um, God didn't bless us with a bird, but we had fun. But as I've been out over the last couple weeks on and off, I've noticed that everything is fighting to grow and turn green. And you know what some of the fastest growing plants out there are? Thorns and thistles. They are just everywhere. And since Steve opened the door to talk about turkeys, uh, one thing that he's taught me this year is turkeys need clear paths to get where you want them to go. But those darn thorns and thistles will grow up so quickly that where there was a path one day, there might not be another day. That's a result of our sin. So no luck in turkey hunting, Steve. That's a sin problem. Right? <laughs> um, but here's the difference. Even though that's how our world works, and death, when it entered in the world, it didn't just affect humanity, it affected all of the animal kingdom. This world is wrecked because of our sin. But because we are at a place where we're determining to follow Jesus and his guidance and work together, building covenant into something amazing for Jesus. God's blessing is on the verge of breaking through what sin has sought to destroy. But if our hearts are wrong, then we're building something new destined to fail. So let's check our hearts. Always check our hearts. David said in the Psalms, search me and know me. 
If there be any wicked way in me, reveal it to me. Cleanse me of unrighteousness. Those are the cries of a guy that we see in Scripture as a guy known as a man after God's own heart. The reason that he was a man after God's own heart is he constantly said, God, assess me. God, check me. God, reveal things in me. And then the season that we have recorded in Scripture where he didn't do that is when he committed adultery and murdered a man and tried to live in that sin secretly. God has one more message for his people in the prophet Haggai, verses 20 through 23. On that same day, December 18th, the Lord said, to, said this second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and the riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. So this word of the Lord, this last three verses, has a twofold message. The first one is, make sure the goals of what you're building for Jesus is not temporal. He says, Nothing on this world's going to last. Empires, rulers, authorities, soldiers, infantry, it's all going to be wiped out. I am the God that is going to purge this world ultimately one day. I raise those up and I tear others down. So make sure that our goal is something that will last beyond the moment. Think about that as a church. It's all going to be put under the test of fire. And fire consumes everything uh, that is not corruptible. So only the incorruptible survives the refining of the fire. That's why it's okay to put gold in fire, right? Because the impurities will burn out, but the fire will last. And so we cannot be afraid about the fires that are coming, because God says they're coming, the, the way that we stand up in the midst of it is not how we present ourselves to other people or convince other people about who we are. It's the, the, it's the quality of our heart. And so the beauty of what God wants to do in us is a focus on generations and not just on what we can do in the moment, not on what recognition we can gain in our short lifespan. You have to be thinking about generations that come from you. That's the legacy that God has for us. The other message was one delivered specifically to Zerubbabel, who is the governor of Judea at the time, but he's also in the line of David. And so this is another messianic prophecy that's fulfilled in Jesus, that the line of David would eventually be reestablished through Jesus and the cross and the resurrection and that his rule is eternal. That is always our focus. Not who's in the presidency of the White House. Not on how much a superpower is. Not even how much gas costs at the pump. Our focus is on the fact that our king rules and reigns. Even now, we're waiting on his return, but his rule is established and firm and unshakable. He's already conquered sin and death and the grave. So we walk as ambassadors in this world proclaiming the truth that we know.
Let me just end with a statement. It takes a lot to forsake what we can gain now in hopes of something better later. I saw a study. I don't remember where. I'd give credit if I knew where, but it's not mine. I saw a study of a guy that was walking the street, and he offered people two options. He offered them an $1.50 chocolate bar or a $100 bill in a year. He would meet up with them at that same place and that same time and give them $100 if they agreed to it. If they didn't agree to it, they could take the chocolate bar now. Do you know what the majority of people chose? The chocolate bar. A $1.50 chocolate bar or a $100 bill. Is there really any comparison between the two? No. So, why did they not choose the $100 bill? Number one, they didn't trust him at his word. I don't know who you are, buddy. I don't know if you're going to show up. You may be pulling a prank on me. I could have had a chocolate bar, and I'm going to show up a year from now, and you're not going to be here, and I'm going to miss out on a nice Hershey's. Does it have almonds? No. I like the cookies and cream ones, guys. That's, That's my favorite. They don't want to wait. Most people want solely what they can get in their hands now. That's our culture. Instant gratification. Give it to me now. I don't care if six months from now it's going to cost this much. I want to be the first. I want to have it now. I can't wait. And the third thing is they don't want to commit. I I don't know where I'm going to be a year from now. I can't commit to meeting you here at this place at this time. My whole schedule's in front of me. I got other priorities. I can't commit to this. Now we're talking about chocolate bars and $100 bills. But I've been talking to you about a life full of blessings and eternal life or a life full of trial, disappointment, and eternal damnation. That's the choices. The $100 bill is God's plan. The chocolate bar is sin. What's the real choice here? But are our excuses any different? I don't trust him at his word. One of my favorite things about Haggai is 